0: that it was a half an hour wait to vote this morning. So we know there's going to be a big turnout today, and all of you got plans to vote? I know, right? Okay. We've had an unusual morning here and so much sickness. I'm telling you, I've got bronchitis, and we'll try not to cough in this thing. And uh, lots of stomach flu around. Hope you all escape If I would put a large poster up here, a white poster, and on it I had a black dot about that big around, and I ask you what it was a picture of. Well, let's say a black dot. Then I might mention, but will you look at all the white? Will you see how much white there is and just one little black dot? If you go see a litter of puppies, and there are eight of them, and seven of them are white and one of them's black. Which one do you see? Uh which one do you think's the cutest? Uh-huh. That's just the way we think and what we do. When we study the the passage of David uh here today, it's it's like a beautiful white, clean picture that we would look at. Later on, we're gonna see a black dot in his life, but I want you to realize that. He lived 69 years, a noble life, and approximately 9 to 10 months living in sin. And, you know, if you ask someone that doesn't know a whole lot about the Bible and you ask them about David, they'll tell you two things. He fought a giant and he slept with Bathsheba. That's what they know. But I'm hoping that we are understanding there is so much from the life of David for us to learn from, and that today we've got something to really fasten a hold of and get a, get into our life. I, I know this. You don't want to be remembered for your dark spot, do you? No, you want that to be forgotten. And praise God, what he forgives, he remembers no more. He doesn't remember the dark year, the dark spot in your life. Hallelujah. And That doesn't mean he has amnesia. It means he does not remember it against you. Not ever again. We're going to see David today when we start a lesson as a brave soldier, taking territory that God intended for Moses to take all those years before. But Moses' generation died in the wilderness. You know what happened to them, don't you? And then God gave the job to Joshua. Now, did Joshua go into Canaan? Yes, he did. But did they take all the territory? No, they were satisfied with what they had when they got there, and they let the Canaanites dwell with them. So King Saul had a chance. He failed his very first assignment to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Remember that from our lesson last year? But David, that boy warrior, had become David the warrior king, and he's going to be the one to take all the territory that God first promised to Israel. Today we're not going to only see him as a warrior, but we'll see him as a shepherd king. Uh, Some of Jonathan's last words to David were this, Don't cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of your enemies from the face of the earth. And we're going to see today that he cut off every one of the enemies around Israel. And then he remembered Jonathan. (laughs) We'll see David as a foreshadowing of redemption. Because, guys, here's what happened. David will save Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. God saves us for jesus sake will you get that comparison as we go through this today and see how david is a foreshadowing of of jesus christ you can imagine when david said is any of saul's family alive knowing that saul had been a relentless enemy of david and david could have hated the descendants that there was a little shudder in the kingdom david um, got the news that Jonathan's son was living in this insignificant little place called Lodibar. And it was a custom of that day for a new king to put to death all of the relatives or the contenders to the throne. So you can imagine how Mephibosheth would have felt when the king's messengers arrived. And by the way, Mephibosheth is who? Jonathan's son, right? Right. He was only five years old when he had been rushed from his home and he was dropped or he fell or something happened that both of his legs were crippled. And that boy, Mavivichev, think about it so much tragedy as that little guy, his father and his grandfather killed on the same day, uprooted from his home in a panic run. And he was a crippled. And as he grew up, Mavivichev lived with the knowledge that he was a refugee. He lived in dread, waiting for that other shoe to drop. Have you ever waited for the other shoe to drop? What a miserable existence that is! In the eighteen hundreds, a little boy sent her little uh, a mother sent her little boy to buy milk, and as was the custom in that city, when you sent your out to get milk, you carried a pitcher. No milk cartons in those days. Carried a pitcher, and it would be filled, and you would carry it home. But on his way home, he he fell, and the milk. Spilled, and worst of all, the pitcher broke to pieces. Henry Morehouse, possibly you've heard of him, he was a wonderful English evangelist. And he was walking by and he heard this little boy crying, and the little boy was saying, Mama will kill me, Mama will punish me so bad, Mama's gonna get me. And he felt sorry for him, so he saw what the problem was, and he took him into a place and bought him a brand new big pitcher. And then he got it filled with milk, and he said, Now will your mama punish you? And Beeman, that little boy, said, no, it's a lot better picture than we had before. That little child, his dread turned into joy. That's what's going to happen to Mephibosheth. And I will tell you something else. That's what happened to you and me. Dread turning into joy. Scholars reckon Mephibosheth to be about 17 or to 20 years old when this happened. And he'd counted himself as a dead dog that crippled young man fell before David and began to speak of his own unworthiness. But David soothed him, telling him, you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to restore your lands. What? And you'll have favor at the courts. You will eat at my table. Do you remember that David ate at Saul's table and it about cost him his life? Remember that? Took a sword, Saul did tried to pin him to the wall or a, a spear. But Mephibosheth now is going to eat at David's table all his life, and he would be blessed there, and he would be protected there. That's amazing grace, do you see? Mephibosheth, he'd not done one good thing for David, had he? His grandpa had spent most of his years trying to kill him, and so much of the Old Testament is this picture of Jesus Christ. Can we it, compare our experience with the grace that Saul's grandson received that day? When David looked at the boy, I don't think he saw a cripple. I think he saw Jonathan, his old friend. Maybe there was a family resemblance. I just bet there was. Something to remind him of Jonathan and turn his heart to love for that boy. I'm just so grateful that when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he doesn't see unworthiness. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He even said we should bring him things in Jesus' name. When you come to me to pray, well, how do you pray? In Jesus' name. Where did that come from, girls? Where did that come from? He wants to see Jesus when he looks at us. He wants us to recognize that love is extended to us because his son sacrificed himself for us. So we end every prayer in Jesus' name. We ask for things. In Jesus' name, this is what you must know. It's not me ever. It's not you. It's always Jesus. And when I hear people talk about how unworthy they are, I want to stop them and say, no, Jesus in you is worthy. And God is looking at you through his son. Quit calling yourself a dead dog. Just don't do that. You know, remember the questions that is asked of us. Um, And we're to ask of others when we want to ask them about their salvation. If you died and God asked you why he should let you into his heaven, what would you say? Now, do you have the instant answer to that? Because there's only one answer. I'm here because of the blood of Jesus. I'm here because of the merits of Jesus. He died to get me here. And I trust in his grace. That's why you should let me in heaven. You got that answer, haven't you? Don't start trying to say, oh, I go to church and I, I read my Bible and I pray and I do the best. I can. No, that's not going to get you to heaven, is it? So drop that and, and understand immediately it's always Jesus. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God just so loved the world. It's an amazing statement, undeserved, and so much of the time misunderstood. You know, I was raised being taught about God's salvation, and many of you were too. I knew it was there, but yet before I could be saved, I had to become Mephibosheth. I had to recognize who I was. I had to know I'm a dead dog. At that point, that's it. But here comes God, and he offers me grace and grace alone didn't Mephibosheth seek out David? No, David sought Mephibosheth. You understand while we were estranged from God and even hiding from us uh, from him, some of us, he had already prepared the blood of Jesus to wash that estrangement away. I watched so many people give their life to Jesus during Judgment House, and every time it was the same transaction because there's only one. I trust Jesus. I want Jesus to come in my heart. I want Him to be my Savior. I want Him to forgive me and my sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And there we are. I was always, always I'm disappointed by the some some who come in and say, "I was saved back and so and so, but I need to be saved again." Or they will say, I thought I was saved, but now I'm not sure I was saved. And you know why it is every time? Because they're living in some sin that they'll want to tell me, this is what I'm doing. To understand that all we need to do is trust in Jesus Christ, ask him to live in our hearts, be aware of his presence, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and say, God, you got this. You got this. I'm yours. I'm your responsibility now. God reached out to us. Does it dawn on you every day what a wonderful God we serve? So there was Mephibosheth sitting with those crippled legs underneath David's bountiful table. He just soaked up the blessings of the king every day. He didn't have to talk dead dog stuff anymore. Every day. You understand we're going to sit at a banqueting table with Jesus Christ. You know that's coming for us. Would you think about what Mephibosheth escaped from? As he laid in his luxurious warm bed at night, I'm sure his mind could go back to the years he spent in banishment. He was no longer hiding in a backwater town of Lodibar. No more poverty, no more feeling like a dead dog, no more cowering in fear, maybe hungry, tortured in mind. No longer the shame of having to hide his name. He moved from being a nobody to be included in the family of David. Listen, girlfriends, listen. We have a higher position than David gave Mephibosheth. We're going to sit on the throne with Jesus Christ and reign with him. I I don't think that registers. I have a hard time picturing that. You know, I can picture me being in heaven. I can think about that. But sitting on that throne, anybody else have trouble with that one? But it's true. God says, and it will happen that way. You know, God's going to supply all our needs. The day we got saved, we became citizens of heavenly Jerusalem, and we're going to dwell there for eternity with the Lord. Don't we have a lot to rejoice about today? When we're looking around at a nation, we're getting low and lower as we see all of the sin and what's going on. Can we not lift our head and rejoice about what he has done for us? Now, focus with me. The Bible teaches that because of Jesus, because of that grace, we'll sit with no longer crippled legs under the banquet table of Jesus Christ. We'll be honored guests. Will our minds turn back, do you think, to what we have once been? I think probably only at the beam of judgment. I think that when when the works of this world are burned up and the works of Jesus Christ in our life are preserved. But if in heaven, if we could think back to our earthly life— Life, will you stay with me just a minute and let me tell you just a fraction of what we will have left behind? This thrills me, and I hope it will you. There will be no funeral homes in heaven, there will be no hospitals there, no heart monitors, our wheelchairs, our death beds. There'll be no cancer, there'll be no divorce courts, no addiction centers, no suicides. No drugs, no gangs. There will be no mass shootings. There'll be no acts of terrorism, no racial divisions. There'll be no injustices anymore. There will be no war, no nuclear weapons, no dirty bombs. There'll be no child abuse, no pornography, no child molestation. There'll be no filthy language that will ever assault our ears again. Hallelujah. Never again will there be misunderstandings our hard feelings, our harsh words, our gossip. There'll be no night, no loneliness, no depression, no worry. There'll be no more temptation, and guys, no more sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. There'll be no locked doors. There'll be no separations. There'll be no starving children. There'll be no slavery. There'll be no dictators. There'll be no evil governments. And as Revelation sums it up in this, in chapter 21, no tears because Jesus will wipe them all away. And he says, no sorrow, no sickness, no crying, no pain. Now, I didn't even tell you what to be there. And do you not have reason for rejoice just just hearing that list of things that will not be there? Let me just say that David's tender care to Mephibosheth won't hold a candle to what we're going to receive from our loving God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And revelation ends like a new beginning. It says God himself will be our God and we shall reign with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right. Reasons to rejoice. Let's stand and have a prayer. And in that prayer, I need us, please, to, to ask God to help us today with this election to have his will and have his way. Phyllis, would you please do that for us?